0: I did come up with a lot of funny, quirky ideas under pressure, especially in those first two seasons.
1: I love rules. I love barriers. How do those two fit together?
0: What is going to differentiate you from the rest of the people that have just graduated?
1: Hi, my name's Chris Meredith. And I'm Paul Fairwinner. And welcome to the Common Creative, our weekly podcast where we explore and share the tools and techniques of creativity. And this week we have a very special guest, Danny Venn. Welcome to our show.
0: Hello, thanks for having me.
1: Uh, If you haven't already heard of Danny, is I think you know where I may say a celebrity chef. Danny has not been on MasterChef once, but twice she was involved in MasterChef. Um, way back, a few years back, but also on Back to Win, this season's Back to Win, and achieved notoriety by being the only person I think ever on MasterChef to be eliminated whilst holding an immunity pin. Congratulations for achieving that amazing thing, Daddy. I wouldn't have played the immunity pin either for what it's worth. I think you did the right thing. Tell us, Danny, I mean, we're keen to talk about creativity, but let's start with, the, with food. What inspires you about food? And is it a creative outlet for you?
0: Yes, food definitely is so creative. Um, but I didn't realise that until well into my 20s I don't think but for me food is so creative because it is all about a sensory experience Um, it ignites all of your senses you know what it looks like the colors in it the textures in it the taste of it the smell of it and being able to shape that into a dish which then is an experience um, is extremely creative and I think the best chefs in the world really harness those senses and also memories. Food is all about, it's a very personal experience and it harnesses memory. So when you have a slice of apple pie, for instance, you could be transported back to your grandmother's kitchen as a kid and that makes you really enjoy that mouthful so much more. So I love food because there's so much that you could do with it. It's endless really. And also there's never like, you can always learn something more. There's always something to learn. You can never know everything. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's a wonderful point about memories. A uh, uh, blackberry fool that transports me to my grandmother's kitchen, for what it's worth. And I know that there's a part of the brain, the limbic part of the brain, which connects directly to your smell organs. And it doesn't go through the conscious part of your brain. It goes straight to that memory center. So that makes perfect sense to me. So yeah. what, uh, tell me, what? how would you describe your style of creativity? I think we know that your style of cooking is a kind of wholesome sort of family version of cooking so Mm -hmm. fresh ingredients local ingredients but your Mm -hmm. style of creativity do you have a a way of being creative um
0: yes I guess like yeah I, I think I've changed the way that I've cooked throughout my short cooking career I guess and the way I cook now is I think creative because I'm using a different set of ingredients to a traditional cook, um, and so I use a lot of whole foods, for instance. Um, so whole food ingredients are things that aren't, aren't processed, so are minimally processed ingredients. Um, and for me that, that um, is great because you're uh, um, creating new flavours, new textures, um, new ways of eating, but you're also increasing your nutrition and to me it's really creative because it's a little bit more complex than, say, using flour, butter and sugar. You know, when you join those together, they're going to taste great. Um, but my creative, my creative process, it changes. But I, I feel like I'm the type of person where if I'm going for a long drive or if I actually pause, those things, they'll just come to me. Ideas just come o- over me and I'm, I, I act on them. I get really excited about an idea and I, I feel like I'm, that's kind of my sweet spot is generating ideas. And when I get an idea, I'm just like, oh, my God, yes. And then I'll, I'll peek and I'll be like, oh, I'll just be so excited and then I'll be like, I'll step back and go, uh, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey,
2: Danny, just another just thing of the idea. So, where did the idea come from to go on to MasterChef?
0: I was going through what I refer to as my quarter life crisis. I was 25. <laughs> um, and I'd been working in arts marketing for a few, quite a few years, or a few years, I guess, since um, graduating from uni. And I found myself reading more and more cookbooks and just becoming obsessed with cooking. And, and I, I loved cooking for people, that was my favorite thing to do. It still is. And I found myself wanting to do a chef apprenticeship, which I guess MasterChef had started a few years earlier. So that thought process of, oh, maybe I could be a chef um, came up. And then the reality of being an apprentice chef kicked in when I got offered a few jobs. I was like, hang on a second. I don't know if I want to work for $10 an hour um, all day and all night. (laughs) Um, but I also talk too much, which I'm sure you can tell why I don't really see the commercial kitchen because in a commercial kitchen, you have to be pretty quiet. It's, it's honestly in some kitchens, it's like a, it's very regimented, like an army. I'm a extremely creative person. And when I was in that environment, I found myself, you don't cook a whole dish. You cook, you chop a herb or you do that. Eventually you might cook a whole dish, but so I got in that kitchen. I was like, hang on a second. This isn't what I thought it would be. Um, and I also knew that, I couldn't go and do an apprenticeship if I wanted to go on MasterChef. And at the back of my head, I I wanted to go on MasterChef because I'd seen how positive the show was, how many opportunities had come for the people on the show in the past two seasons before me. And I thought, I want to work with food, but I'm not sure how. And I think this is a great opportunity. And you studied
1: marketing and communication, so you presumably understood also the power of MasterChef as a as a kind of promotional tool, as well as the education that it offers because you rub shoulders with so many amazing
0: people. Yeah, that's right. I, I just i completed a um, undergraduate degree media at RMIT, which is a really practical, um, hands-on degree. So we'd made television, we'd made radio, um, we'd made a blog, which was one of the first forays into web 2.0 I think I remember doing a project about web 2.0 when video online became a thing and all that kind of stuff so I was in that space um and I've always loved performing and you know it kind of just became I thought it was just a great creative outlet to have a go at
1: So tell us, you mentioned that you have ideas, perhaps when you're driving along and something comes to you and you get very excited about it. And I think a lot of creative people identify with that moment when you're sometimes in the car, maybe you're in the shower, you're kind of all relaxed and suddenly two disparate things come together or you start to coalesce an idea. Mm -hmm. But when you're on a show like MasterChef, you're under huge pressure and we'd love to hear from you what it's like to create under pressure when they come up with some strange theme Armenian desserts or whatever I don't know what it might be and you've got 34 minutes to come (laughs) what how can you most people would freeze I think they would just freeze and go I'm doing cheese on toast or you know whatever it might be how can you create when you haven't got that dreamy state when you are under huge
0: pressure it is a good question, and it's really quite difficult. I feel like I probably was better under pressure as a 20-something-year-old. <laughs> um, going back to win, I found it really hard because for 10 years I've been working in the food industry and for 10 years I'm working on creative projects, but I'm used to having that time now to reflect and research and develop the idea um, so going back to MasterChef for the second, well, actually it was the third time because I did do a back, I did an All Star series in 2012 as well. So I'm a tragic reality. Three person. times <laughs> Three <laughs> time MasterChef contestant.
2: Did you? Um, did you uh, <laughs> Danny, did you uh, get voted off with immunity pin at that other time, the All Stars? No,
0: no, no. I um. Oh gosh, no. But I did come up with a lot of funny, quirky ideas under pressure, especially in those first two seasons. Um, and I look back now, and I think maybe there was less fear um, and more like there was for me personally I felt there was quite a lot of pressure going back in the back to win season and looking around you're like looking at some of the best cooks in the country and there's that oh my god what am I doing here do I belong here all of those things whereas the first time round, I was so just like oh my god everything was a surprise and uh, oh I got through the next round how cool is that oh and I got through then and so like there was less pressure on me I think Obviously, I wanted to go well, but I came up with some really creative, quirky dishes, which I think also is my thing. And going back to the back-to-win season, it seemed a lot more um, professional rather than quirky. <laughs> actually,
2: that, that's Danny, that's, that's actually really interesting because there is that whole thing, you know, and I know as a painter, when I first started painting, it was very similar. I didn't really care. Or scared to show people, uh, but then after you have some successes, you have this view that people have an expectation. And I'm really interested in this idea of quirky. So, what do you define as quirky in your in your food? Like, what is a
0: well using MasterChef as an example? In the first few seasons um, that I did, I made um, <laughs> I made some funny things, which I, I love. Like um, a lot of people remember the Korean rice burger. So we had this challenge with David Chang who's one of um, America's greatest um, innovative Korean-American chefs and we had a mystery box of Korean ingredients. But because he's American, I kind of had this idea to make a rice burger, which now is like a thing um, <laughs> in Asia. And at the time, like everyone was like, what? You're making a burger out of rice? And it was really quirky and it was fun. and It was playful and I that that to me is my type of, Fun thing, yeah. David Chang really loved it, and then I remember making these lychee toffee pops, which were the this play on it on um, going to a Chinese restaurant. When you, I remember as a kid wanting to have banana fritter, but also the theatrics of this toffee. I remember having toffee and like deep fried banana, and I made these pops that were these quirky things. But I managed to beat meet, meet Poe and Marion cooking them, <laughs> so I was like, wow. Um, and I just, I, I, like a baccalavera ice cream sandwich, I remember making these things which, that were, like, just fun and playful, whereas this season, you know, you saw the level of food. It was fine dining at its best, and I'm not that type of cook. Like, I like just doing stuff that's a bit more fun. So, I mean, not that it
1: wasn't. Can I build on that, though? Because it sounds like we all become victims of our own... Um, it's self-expectation. You know, the more you go on, the more feedback, more success you get, the more pressure you put yourself under. And it's all from ourselves. I don't know if the rest of the world sees it that way, but you think now people expect something of me. And you mentioned this word that, that I think is a really interesting key to this idea of quirkiness, which was playfulness. And maybe if we could remember or learn how to be playful when we're being creative, we wouldn't have that pressure to be who we think we ought to be. Um, now, you, you have young family. I know that, uh, how how can you be playful? Any ideas on
0: that? Yeah. I mean, like, for me, I love being playful and childlike, I guess, Um, and having, I think, watching kids play and create um, from a parent's perspective is amazing because they just do things without thinking about them and they create things that are really striking or fun or You know, just because they like it, whereas adults will put this expectation and overthink stuff and go, oh, I can't put that together, it won't work, and um, it doesn't end up being as good, I don't think, in some ways. But um, for me, I work better with rules and barriers. So if someone says to me, cook anything you want, I am like, I'll freak out. Cheese
2: sandwich. Cheese sandwich.
0: Yeah, I'm just like, oh, I don't know anything. I can't cook anything. <laughs> but if someone says to me um, purple or uh, a country, um, you know, Vietnam or whatever it is, whatever barrier it is, that then I can go, okay, cool, like I can work with something, I can dissect it, I can um, come up with something that's, you know, a fusion of whatever it is.
1: It's it's really interesting you mentioned that in connection with play because I would have guessed you'd go, play is about not having the barriers and not having the rules and and play. When people are playing, they just work it out for themselves. And you're saying, I love rules, I love barriers. How do those two fit together?
0: (laughs) I don't know, actually. That's a good point. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know, but I always find having those limitations in place is more. I, I, I find myself being more creative. Um, but that's not the same for everything, and I guess maybe it would be different for different mediums perhaps. Um, but it just helps me categorise my brain a little bit more or else it's too like, oh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> if I
1: want to see a door with a do not enter sign on it, uh, my first reaction is, why not? How can I get it?
2: <laughs> So maybe it's that interesting. <laughs>
0: Yeah, do not touch. Um, okay, <laughs> just want to touch it now. Um, yeah,
2: you, with your uh, your kids know that your thing is playfulness in the kitchen. I just wonder when you're uh, when you tell them not to play with their food, uh, <laughs> they, they, they they get any pushback? You know, like
0: oh, oh, mom. <laughs> you should think How my two and a half year old eats, I just give up. to Be honest, like, <laughs> like, There's mess every every meal, and that's okay. Um, but yeah, I think. Tuning into that playfulness is good. I sometimes I, uh, you know, I don't. I you forget about it and you're like, oh, just let go. Don't put so much expectation on yourself. Just have a go at something. Don't overthink it and then see where it leads. And that's what I find. Like even just doing a brainstorm or something like that. It's like just get everything out there and then rein it in. But um, but going back to like the pressure situation, I guess when you're presented with a challenge in MasterChef, sometimes you'll get an idea within 30 seconds and that's generally what happens to me. Like I'll be like, I'll see something and then I'll be like, bang, 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 like dots just connect. And generally because it's such a tight time frame, you go with, I would say most people will go with the first thing that they've thought about and when you second guess yourself, that's when you usually screw up and that's what happens. During a cook, you'll see someone start something and then they're like, oh, my God, what am I doing? And I've done it before what am I doing this for? I'm going to do this now. And then that yeah, yeah. the unfolds uh, and that's great TV. But
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Danny, just in your, I, I think it's really interesting and, you know, focusing on MasterChef and that, what about in the work that you do now? Like, do you have boundaries? You know, uh, is it quirky? And I suppose the third part of it, along, maybe a long answer is, uh, do you work with people in business? How do they respond, you know, to this idea of quirky? You know, Um when the things that you do, like yeah. when you're out in the real world,
0: I definitely have used, utilized my creative processes and the way I create recipes, which I think are a slightly a, a twist or there's always a quirk on a recipe that I generally do, whether it's an ingredient, a flavour combination or the way that it's presented, but I, my audience and what I do is generally still accessible and simple enough for people to be able to recreate at home. It's definitely not quirky in the way that Reynolds would put together a dessert, but it might be quirky in that people would go, oh, that's interesting, I want to make that. Um, and I've been able to, I guess, utilise that skill to work with different, um, say, for instance, food brands. I'll come up with recipes for their products, products, um, And that's something that I've been able to do since leaving the show, which has been amazing. So I've been able to work with, I work really closely with a company called Melrose Health. So um, I remember starting working with them four years ago. And like you would probably know, Chris, they they overhauled, there was a change in management and they'd never really worked with anyone in food despite them being a food company for nearly 35 years at that time (laughs) and they were like we've got all these great health food ingredients but um they never really thought about working with someone in food so my job for them is is making sure people like myself um especially you know younger females mums that they know how to use those products and make them taste delicious so um not only are they nutritious but they are are actually delicious as well so so yeah. can I, because we, we work
1: together on a particular project with a big food company. I know you've created um, a pineapple curry, which I, I guess I don't know if that's connected to Melrose Health or not. So you are begin right. to see the world of big food companies and big business. And uh, uh, well, I guess my question is those companies have their own particular constraints. They have to meet cost mm-hmm. targets and they have mm-hmm. only the production lines that they've got. I mean, some, a lot of my clients can't touch nuts because of the allergies and so on. But what do you observe about the way they develop food products? And Do you have any advice for big companies, either inside food or perhaps even beyond food, about how they could embrace your style of creativity more?
0: Ooh, that's a big one. Um, It is very interesting seeing the inner workings of a massive company, and for me, being someone that works like on my own generally or with just a few people and we do things quite quickly we turn over work quite quickly when I see a big company and I go oh wow like from inception like the idea to it being on the shelf can be a really really long process and the hoops that it has to jump through it's quite overwhelming for someone like me where I'm just like can't you just do that like (laughs) um (laughs) And my, my personal experience developing my pineapple curry was pushed through very quickly because of the timeline of MasterChef. Um, so it, and also the limitations I guess I saw with COVID um, and ingredients, um, all of a sudden, say, for instance, the coconut milk that I wanted to use, which was dairy-free, wasn't able to be used because it, they couldn't get up from Thailand in time, that type of thing. So, um. I would say always think about who you're like. Why are you in business? And I know that this is a really big thing for big corporate companies because often they forget um, why are you in business and um, um, thinking about what problem you're solving and also the who is the consumer. Like actually think about their them on a day to day basis. What are their what are the things that keep them up at night? What are the? How can you help them? And I think I've spoken to you before about um, my pleasure and pain island. So if if they're on if they're on pain island and that the problem might be um, uh, they can't get their kid to eat vegetables, how can you take them to pleasure island? And how can your product or service or whatever it is solve that? Um, I think yeah, I think with corporate companies it can get lost and. They don't out. They don't outsource uh, external opinions, and they become um, in a bubble of their own company, and then they realize maybe that they're out of touch with the rest of the the, the consumers. It's interesting
1: that one of the ways I was able to help the company that you and I worked with. Um, to get you involved is that they did, they did admit they talk to themselves by which I mean, they don't involve outsiders and get that fresh outside perspective. So yeah. it's really good to hear you say that. I get, it's interesting hearing you talk about um, what problem you're solving, um, why are you in business, how to get customs from pain island to pressure on. I can imagine you working with all sorts of different companies, not just in food because all of those, points I think are very true of almost any big company whether it's a car company or an insurance company or whatever so <laughs> maybe we'll see you one day consulting outside of food <laughs> and we can just just do new stuff
0: <laughs> you never know I think exactly like creativity I think as a concept is relevant to all industries and I remember I didn't realize that I was even creative until I became an adult because I don't even think that creativity was something discussed like it is now um, in the school system and things like that um, I remember thinking oh am I creative and not realizing because like I wasn't an artist for instance or something like that um, but everyone's creative and the toolbox that creatives use is relevant I think to to everyone I was uh, I think
2: that, that, that is just uh, it's very interesting you say, that you don't recall yourself as being creative as a child because we we speak often about the fact that around puberty a lot of kids' creativity gets shut down either by an internal voice or, you know, by by a figure of authority or the school system, whatever. So you didn't as a child, you know, were you creative? Like, or were you just being a child and playing and creating things? Like, you know, did you I, have a creative hobby?
0: I think um, I was creative as more as... A, I think I was creative as a child and I remember like... Um, I used to, funnily enough talking about microphones. I used to have this microphone and a tape deck which I could record things and I used to make my own like radio shows and I'd love talking on the microphone and I'd, I'd have a cubby house and I used to sit in there and just I'd used to spend hours just talking on the microphone. <laughs> Um, nothing much has changed I wish (laughs) but um, I I think the concept of creativity wasn't explored as much in the school system maybe back then I think things have changed a lot now like I look at uh, my daughter uh, went to an incredible kindergarten last year and she now goes to an IB school which is international baccalaureate school and the system of education is now changed so much to harness um an individual and to harness creativity and to really talk about that as a concept. Um, but I, I yeah, I think I was creative, but probably didn't recognise it until I was older and felt like Someone had given me permission to be creative or something like that.
2: Mm. Actually, I think it's I think it's changing and it, in certain schools of changing. You've probably seen that Ken Robinson uh, TED talk where he talks about uh, schools killing our kids' or children's creativity. Um, mm. but, but back in my day, not they had it at my school, but, you know, there was the home economics subject, which was literally, you know, like sewing and cooking, but not in any creative sense. You know, this is how you... <laughs> You yeah. know, this is how you bake your cake. Uh, this is how you. Uh, in fact, it was funny. My 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 daughter's eleven, and her friend were over, and they pranked me. They got a sponge and they covered it with cream and gave it to me, and so it said it was a special sponge. And they were talking about <laughs> it, and I was I was on the couch listening, and so oh, I made the sponge at home. My friend was saying and stuff, but I couldn't believe. You know, I, I, I bit into this thing, and it was uh, <laughs> the sponge. But yeah, so hopefully, if they do have home economics still at schools, it's you know, it's it's more along the lines of MasterChef rather than uh, this is how you boil an egg. Um, yeah. But it's, it's interesting, actually. I think all of us experience that, uh, outsiders, asking for the formula.
1: So it might be, how, how do you paint like you, Paul? Or Danny, what's the recipe for that dish? Give me the process that I go through to, to copy you, in effect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering why people don't ask, how do I play with food? Or how do I play with a paintbrush? Because that would give people a route to their own creativity um but i'm gonna take a lot of confidence to do that i'm a, I, I'm a photographer and, and people always ask me uh, you know how, how do i what are these buttons for it's about like saying how many ways can you slice carrots it's kind of what are you what are you trying to cook what are you trying to deliver yeah. and people oh i don't know that i just want to be like what you do so um it's a very interesting twist people want the formula they want the process and they yeah. don't they have to I, start I, there I, before I, I, they can
0: Yeah, and I feel like you give, I think the interesting thing that I realised when I was on MasterChef was you give 50 people the same recipe and you're going to get 50 different dishes. Um, I can tell you how to cook something and some of the things that I like, especially some of my recipes that sometimes that I will make that I know how to make but I know it's still difficult for someone to make. I can tell you how to do it but... um, yeah you'll get a different result and it depends on what tools you have or what things you have in the kitchen and all that type of stuff what ingredients you're going to use and it just changes so much and I think for me cooking is less about a recipe and more about play and yes you need to know certain techniques which I'm actually not very good at like I'm not a technical cook I just give stuff a go and people freak out especially pastry chefs that are very technical um and that's another thing I think with Master Chef. it's like you have to be really good at how to work with flour, butter and sugar because they're the three things that you always have to cook with. And I have not used those processed ingredients for a long time as well. So I was like, oh, my toolbox is different again. So, you know, there's so many different things with cooking.
1: Is there a fatal flaw in creativity that, that if, if you come up with a winning formula, I'm talking for personal experience here, you come up with a winning formula, you're kind of, your DNA won't let you repeat it because you've got to change it and try something else and try something else. And I wonder if creatives need to be partnered with people who, who know about capturing what you've done, repeating what you've done and not changing it because you might every now and then stumble on something really brilliant. And a, a, a true creative will go. Fine, I want to do something else brilliant now, and it's a problem because you can't you can't kind of capture or share what you've done. What do you think? Should creators be teamed up with people that know about process and know about um, re- repetition, if you like,
0: in the kitchen or just in general?
1: Well, I'm talking in general, but it would apply to the kitchen or.
0: Yeah, or I think the, that person. I think working with another person is always of benefit um, because. I think like you always will learn something different off another person and if someone's very technically minded and um, systematic um, paired with someone that's (laughs) more like me, I'm (laughs) more creative and things are everywhere and I'm like, what, I'm not a details person, I think that's actually a really good synergy because you, you, you learn from each other. You might come up with something that you never have come up with before. Um, and I think that's the great thing about, I guess, working in different teams.
2: I, I, Danny, I, I think it's very, I think it's a really interesting point that you've made, and you're very much similar to me. You know, once I've done something, I don't want to do it again. You know, like I, I, I get bored with it very quickly, and so I, I sort of, in thinking about it, I think your role in some way is to inspire people. You know, so you do something, and you know, you might do on the show, and people go, "Well, oh, that was so fantastic." You know, I'm going to try that but you've already moved on to the next thing. You're not interested, you know, and I I think it's also interesting that you decided not to be an apprentice because it was too controlling and you talked before about having boundaries because, you know, in a a restaurant that has a menu, you can't be creative. Um, Mm.
0: But there are obviously some
2: restaurants, very limited, but there's some restaurants out there, you know, especially like provincial Italy and stuff where literally is you turn up, and you eat what they're cooking that day, you know? And yeah. I can imagine you in that restaurant, but I couldn't imagine you in a restaurant where every day, you know, you had to make the the same meal that when the person comes back tomorrow, they don't go, this is different, you know? Uh, yeah. and, uh, no,
0: that's true. It's really true. And like there are those restaurants, but they are in the top, you know, very small percentage. But also when you think about a restaurant, it's very similar to a large corporate company. There are so many constraints. You know, you have to deliver on the price of food, um, how like the portion size has to be a particular weight to ensure there's no wastage. When like creating a dish for a restaurant is incredibly different to cooking at home as well and it has to be financially viable and a lot of restaurants don't get that right and that's why there's so many restaurants that close down I think like over 50% in the first like two or three years. It's something ridiculous wow. um, because those steps um, aren't taken and a lot of people go into a restaurant and especially um, chefs and have these visions. They are really creative. They want to create these amazing dishes and experiences but that's why we've seen the death, I guess, of a lot of fine dining restaurants because that dish, is, which is tiny and intricate and beautiful, is going to cost, you know, $80, say, for instance, <laughs> at, a, at, a, at a good restaurant. <laughs> people don't necessarily want to pay for that. Um, and they don't understand the work involved in it. That's why we're seeing a lot more, I guess, um, uh, what do you call them? Take, like, you know, like takeaway type model shops where people can have a quick bite to eat. It's it's cheaper to produce. They're still getting a tasty meal and it's affordable. Um, ah, interesting.
1: A sort of bite size, a sample size version of whatever it is. Well, you are.
0: well just like, for instance, like. George Cullen he had a press club for many years. It's a fine dining, extremely technical, expensive restaurant to run because everything is high end. The chefs are highly skilled. It's hard to find those. Um, The produce is the best quality. And it's an expensive experience, but the margins aren't necessarily high. And then he opened the kebab shop, Jimmy Grant's, which these are all, everything's closed now. But (laughs) as an example, um, Jimmy Grant's was uh, almost like it was a kebab shop, but like a good quality one. And, you know, the margins on that are are way high. The turnover is quicker. So as as a business model, it's like both are creative, but this, you know it's it's a different type of creativity um and unfortunately creativity has to sometimes it has to be financially viable which doesn't necessarily mean it's the most creative way i think if
1: you you were going to translate that into the world of art i think you'd say fine art is a kind of it's about the passion of the artist uh there's not much money in there but if you can get the prints happening selling the prints at Couple hundred bucks a pop. You know, that's a completely different financial model, and it, you can actually make yeah. some money and start to get.
0: Yeah, price. yeah. Um, that,
2: also, I mean, applying to bi- the world of business as well, because you know, business ne- need new ideas. They need to be creative, but you know, they can't keep on reinventing themselves every day because you know, that's there's right. the whole ec- economies of scale. And so, you know, I yeah. think it's a, I think it's a, you know, a good lesson. You know, more broadly than not just uh, not just restaurants and kitchens. Although I think <laughs> one of the reasons. Uh, if, they come to people like danny and yourself
1: paul is the world is changing faster than it used to and it was okay to build up a formula for making money and just carry on doing it doing it, doing it.
2: Yeah, yeah yeah but things
1: are moving so fast they're struggling to change at the rate that people are and mm. and that's the big challenge i think they're all under
0: totally everything's yeah, yeah. changing so rapidly especially in the world of like digital social media the way people consume things and no more has that been evident this year with obviously with the pandemic and how people are consuming products and, and things like that. And you have to keep up. And the pandemic has se- I've seen personally so much creativity, especially in Melbourne, of new business of, of changing of business models, of developing new products or developing new ways of selling a product, which I think are, are better than what we had before. So mm-hmm. that I- I'm seeing some businesses that I'm like. You that are doing it right and doing it well um, are probably not going to go back to the way that they were doing business before.
2: There is a million unbelievable artists out there, but the successful ones seem to have a knack of marketing themselves. Do, do you think, think that your success, you know, since the show has been related to your ability to self-market?
0: Um, Definitely. I think not just self-market, but self-motivated, I would say, Um, because especially back in the day with the early seasons of MasterChef, all of a sudden the market is very flooded with a million MasterChef contestants. And um, I feel like a lot of people just expected things to be handed to them on a platter of like you've been on MasterChef, now you're going to get XYZ opportunity, which did happen for the first season because it was brand new. And, of course, people wanted to work with Julie and Poe and, and Justine. But, you know, a few seasons down the track, that's not, that's not those same opportunities don't happen. You have to really work for it. And that's what I always say to not just people off MasterChef but people that are finishing a university degree. It's like what is going to differentiate you from the rest of the people that have just graduated. Well, you can do internships, you can volunteer, you can create your, you can do your own side hustle, whatever it is. There's a lot more opportunities these days to do your own thing because of online. Um, and it's the same with me. Like I felt like I, people, like actually it annoys me a little bit because even this year people are like, oh, you're so lucky that so-and-so is knocking on your door asking you to do a product at Coles or whatever. And I'm like, actually, I'm not lucky. I called that person 10 years ago and asked her to go out for a coffee and then I've been working doing every single job that they've asked me to do for the last 10 years and jobs that not necessarily everyone would want to do and I've worked for 10 years with this client and I've worked it hard and I'm I'm friendly and I'm I'm willing to give things a go and it's not someone just knocking on my door saying we want you to have your own product or Coles that's a work that's that's like 10 years worth of work
2: the, the 10 year overnight success
0: <laughs> exactly. And it's like not, and still now it's like, I'm, I'm still working. Like, you know, I'm learning a lot through this whole product thing as well. Like things don't just happen. And it's the same with, I think a lot of young people as well. They see a lot of success in social media and a person having so many followers for like really quickly. And it's, they forget that you have to still you know, you still have to work at it. And I think networking, relationship building is absolutely crucial and doing it the old fashioned way, you know, well, when you're allowed to (laughs) leave (laughs) the (laughs) house, you can still go out for coffee and, and nurture those relationships and be genuine about it. It's because you actually care about their business as well
2: well if you ever get sick of cooking i'm sure you got another career back in marketing and motivation uh, danny uh, <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs>
2: that, 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 that's great great insights and great words of advice
0: Very Yeah, danny, I,
1: i'd echo that thank you we've learned about the fact you love barriers um <laughs> we've learned about the power of play we've learned about big companies remembering why they exist and how to get them out of pain island and pleasure island but most of all you've inspired me to cook korean rice cakes <laughs> <laughs> rice burgers <laughs> <laughs> I love it <laughs> thank you so much danny it's been a great pleasure to have you on the show if you're listening into this podcast please give us your feedback write some comments give us a rating tell your friends and we'll see you for next week's episode of the common Creator.
2: thanks so much guys thanks danny it was fantastic